in life, uh, even the best of relationships goes through ups and downs. You're not going to be happy all the time in a relationship. You're married to a human being. You're friends with human beings. And human beings are incurably self-centered. <laughs> People get sick. We argue. We whine. We have misunderstandings. Sometimes we're inconsiderate. Sometimes things just don't go right. And life is not a constant honeymoon. Some days, to be honest, are just a complete disaster from the very get-go. Some ways that you might know you're having a bad day, if you wake up to discover your waterbed broke, and then you remembered you don't have a waterbed. Think about that for a minute. Selah. The bird singing out your window is a vulture. You put your clothes on backwards and they fit better. You place both contact lenses in the same eye. You get on the bathroom scale one foot at a time. <laughs> you want one for each foot. <laughs> you dig around in your purse for your phone and you're talking on it. <laughs> Might be a bad day. Your horn goes off accidentally and remains stuck while you're following a group of Hell's Angels down the freeway. You try to check in at the gym with your Starbucks card. Your twin sister forgets your birthday. Your birthday cake collapses from the weight of all the candles. And finally, your blind date turns out to be your annoying ex-boyfriend who you broke up with a month ago saying... I need a break for at least six months from dating. That would be a bad deal. Show up to your blind date and it's your ex. Awkward. <laughs> when we look for relationships in marriage or friendship or the body of Christ, people say, I just want to be happy. You ever heard that? But the problem is, with that attitude, is it's basically selfish. It's saying, I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it, and then I'll be happy. James 4, verses 1 through 2 in the, um, the message version, puts it pretty plainly, and the King James sounds so poetic, and this just smacks you in the face. Where do all the fights and quarrels among you come from? They come from your desires for pleasure, which are constantly fighting within you. You want things, but you cannot have them, so you are ready to kill. <laughs> you strongly desire things, but you cannot get them, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have what you want because you do not ask God for it. 
If that doesn't challenge you, you're much better than I am. The root problem of relational difficulties is a power struggle between two selfish, insecure people. For a lot of us, to solve the relational problems we're in, the solution is to grow up and stop being self-centered. Now, we can only have peace with someone else as much as lies within us. I understand that. If the other person absolutely makes up their mind there's no peace, there won't be peace, but at least it won't be our fault, right? And it's hard to keep on going off on someone that just takes it. It's kind of a fire extinguisher. A soft answer turns away wrath, right? But it takes a work of grace to be that way. Uh, I'm extremely competitive, and if someone's in my face, I want to come back twice as fast, twice as hard. But when God has a hold of us, we can be like he was when they were insulting him, and he just remained quiet. He just took it. He didn't feel like he had to justify himself because he was secure in who he was and what he was doing. It would take a lot of security to remain on the cross when someone says, if you're really the son of God, get down. Prove it. It would be hard because I know for me, I'd want to prove it. Unless I'm secure in who I am, then I can just stay there and say, it doesn't matter what they say, I am what I am. Right? James 3.16 in the New Living Translation says, For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of evil. Jealousy and selfish ambition bring disorder and every kind of evil. In other words, we can't be joyful and jealous at the same time. Selfishness undermines relationships. I believe that's something for you to fill in there. Selfishness undermines our relationships. We have to try to get the focus off ourselves and what we're getting out of it. We hurt each other in relationships sometimes intentionally. And sometimes unintentionally. It's a fact of life. And what we do with that hurt makes a difference between being joyful or being miserable. Nothing destroys a relationship faster than resentment. So sometimes, while you're trying to figure out if someone did something on purpose or on accident, why don't you just say, forget it. Whether it was on accident or on purpose, I'm moving on. I don't need to worry about that all day long. Just move forward. I'm not going to become resentful or bitter. Hebrews 12.15. Hebrews 12.15 says, Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. This is the second half of the verse, skipping the first half. But watch out that no bitterness takes any root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Make sure bitterness doesn't take root. We can't stop the 
the seeds the enemy throws at us, the seeds of bitterness, but we can stop them from growing, right? Temptation to be bitter will come. And we don't have to feel horrible even if we, if we resist it at the temptation. We don't have to feel like we've done something horrible. We can resist it and move forward. It's just if we let it take root, then it starts causing problems. I think it was Spurgeon said that you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from nesting in your hair. You can't stop the temptation, the passing temptation to be bitter or resentful, but you can uproot it and cast it out. Selfishness brings resentment. It eats up emotional energy because we spend all our time resenting the fact that someone else got one over on us. Or so we think. Someone else hurt me and I'm going to waste all my energy and time thinking about that. It also breeds fear, which causes us to build walls. When we're fearful, we cannot give the Lord, we cannot give love and we cannot receive love because we're always afraid of being hurt again, right? And when we're full of fear, there's no emotional intimacy. There's no emotional intimacy and there's no joy. A relationship can't become joyful because joy is only produced out of a level of intimacy, emotional intimacy. Fear does three things to relationships. Again, I can identify with all three of these in my life at certain times and and weaknesses even currently that I need the Lord to help me with. So don't feel like um, you've just got a big target and you're the only one. All of us deal with these things. Fear makes me defensive. And I won't admit it when I'm wrong. I'm defensive about everything because, again, I have to protect myself. So I can't admit I'm wrong because showing weakness might make me vulnerable. Right? Fear makes me distant. Because, again, I can't open up and share my real feelings. i got to just keep my safe distance. Keep my walls up. And fear makes me demanding. Makes me demanding because I always want to be in control. Because, again, what's the easiest way to defend yourself? Control the situation. Don't let anybody do anything that you won't allow them to do. So the remedy, we've talked about the symptoms quite a bit now to the point where we're all feeling <laughs> convicted. 1 John 4.18 gives us the remedy. There is no fear in love. Because all those symptoms are based really out of fear. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. All those things, bitterness and resentment and all those things, they produce torment in our lives. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So again, we're all going to deal with fear on a certain level. But the goal is to get to the point where we're filled with the love of God to the to an extent where we can love people even at risk of being hurt. 
And really, a lot of sharing the gospel is is in it's hindered because of our fear. We're afraid that someone else might not accept what we say, so we hold back. But the Lord wants us to get to the point where we can witness without fear. And we get there through His love, not through looking in the mirror and talking ourselves into it. I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. It doesn't, doesn't work. It's not about willpower, it's about the Spirit in us, helping us grow. Most people try to do something to bring happiness into a troubled relationship. But it's only a temporary solution. What we need is joy, and that only comes from the Spirit of God. Joy is very much different than happiness. Most people think if I only could do this, or if someone else would do this, I could finally be happy. If I could buy this, if I could buy that, if I could have this job, if I could drive that car, if I could live in this house, on and on and on. The problem with that is that is a destination disease. You can never be happy till you get to the destination, right? Well, what happens to you when you're not at the destination? You're always looking to arrive and so you can never have, be happy because you're always trying to get somewhere because once you get there more than likely there's going to be another destination you think you need to go to so it's an insatiable disease the flesh is never satisfied so if we live to just please the flesh and be happy in our flesh we're going to be miserable and tormented but life's not a destination it's a journey the grass may be greener on the other side of the fence, but the water bill is higher there too. And I've also heard it said that you have to mow that grass too. After people make drastic changes, walk away from marriages, quit jobs, switch careers, move across the country, build a new house, buy a new car, get a great promotion... They still have to live with themselves. Because again, joy is more about ourselves than everybody else. And it's our peace with God that produces that joy. Nowhere in the Bible does God say pursue happiness. The word happiness is only 22 times in the Bible and it doesn't mean what we think of. In the Bible, happy doesn't mean having everything I want. It means blessed or favored by God. So the way we think of happiness needs to change. If we truly want to be happy, we have to be blessed and favored by God. Happiness is very vulnerable in the sense that we think of happiness. Happiness wrapped up in people is insecure because people let us down. It's just going to happen. People aren't always going to fulfill what we want them to. If we're looking to others for our happiness, that's a very insecure happiness. People are going to fail. As much as I try to, to be the best husband, the best father I could be, if, if my wife and my daughters look to me for their sole source of happiness, they're going to be sadly disappointed many times. Because I'm only human. But if they look to God as their source of happiness, it doesn't relieve me of being the best husband and father I can be, but it helps them to have a greater source 
in their life. To expect your spouse to fulfill all your happiness is not wise. The Lord is the ultimate source. Happiness centered in possessions is unsure because material goods deteriorate and depreciate. They go away. They get old. They fail us again. Happiness based on health is unreliable because time takes its toll on all of us. And even though the Lord may heal us of things sometimes, we're all going to get old and die. That's just part of this life. Unless the rapture happens first, which it may very well happen first. And happiness grounded in social achievement is very unpredictable because there's always a new star that rises. And you can just look at um, the celebrities of our day to see this. They have their moments in the sun, but eventually someone else rises up and everybody kind of forgets about the person who's now outdated. And Michael Jordan is one of my favorite examples. He's poss- quite possibly the greatest basketball player of all time. And he's just not talked about very much anymore. He doesn't play. Someone like Kobe Bryant. As much as I don't really care for him, Maurice knows he's a great basketball player. He's only been retired for a few months. And he doesn't get talked about very much anymore. It just people move on. Everything we build our happiness on eventually double crosses us. But Jesus will never fail us. God is the only guarantee in this universe. He is the only guarantee. And that's the unfortunate reality of why there's so many people around us who are acting like Scrooge at Christmas. Who are acting like the Grinch. Because they're disappointed with their life. They're discouraged. And I'm no better than any of them. I'm just saying they just need Jesus. Right? If they had Jesus as their source, they would be happy too. People try everything to be happy. And it doesn't last very long. And this morning I was just driving after meeting someone for breakfast and and there's these two ladies walking down the street and one of them literally just she's walking along and all of a sudden she just drops to her knees and just starts wailing just bawling her eyes out and just screaming I have no idea what happened but she just lost it on the sidewalk I don't know what her problem was but I do know if she would ask Jesus for help he could help her better than anything else doesn't matter how much money she has doesn't matter what she's done in the past if she would just come to Jesus he would help her and give her peace but that's so simple people miss it what I don't have to pay for it what I don't have to go to college for 30 years to get it I don't have to do this I don't have to do that because we're used to having to earn everything right but with Jesus you can come and just receive because he wants to give it He's just waiting for people to ask. 
As much as we want joy, He wants to give us joy more. It's just we have to quit going to the wrong wells. We have to quit drinking out of broken vessels. As soon as you fill it up with water and you go to put it to your lips, it's already leaked out the bottom. And then you fill it up again, it's gone again. You might get one drop. And all this effort of back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Nothing. Because it's broken cisterns, the Lord said. The things of this life cannot satisfy. But with Him we get a full glass every time we truly come to Him. And we can drink and drink and drink. So why do we get deceived? I wish I knew. (laughs) I wish I knew because I ask myself the same question every time. I do it. I'm irritable, I'm stressed, I'm frustrated. I go pray. After a while, I feel like everything's better. And I'm like, why did I wait so long? Why did I get tricked again? So in contrast to seeking after happiness, which is self-centered, the Bible uses the words joy, joyful, or rejoice over 160 times. It teaches us that joy only comes from the Spirit of God living within us. It's God-centered. Happiness is self-centered, and it's based on temporary things. Joy is God-centered. He'll go through a little uh, comparison chart here to fill out. Happiness is external. It's everything outside. But joy is internal. That's why everything outside could be falling apart. And inside we could still have peace and joy. Because it's internal. Whereas happiness depends on everything going on out here. Happiness is temporary. And we see that at Christmas. <laughs> that gift is like the best thing in the world for a few minutes. But joy is eternal. It doesn't mean we, we don't need to continue to seek it, but it means when we get in heaven, we'll have a state of joy that will never, never, never end. Happiness is based on chance. Joy is based on choice. Happiness is based on chance, okay? Time and chance happens to everyone, we say, and we just hope that, it's, that our chance comes, right? We just hope for that. And, but joy is based on choice. Whatever situation I'm in, make a choice to rejoice. And nothing can, be, nothing can take that choice away from you. Happiness is based on circumstance. And joy is based on Christ. Happiness is based on circumstances while joy is based on Christ. So again, in happiness, the idea of happiness that we understand in our culture is, I'm going to find this happiness myself. Right? I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to do whatever I have to to be happy. I'm going to, whatever that happiness is in our ideal, a level of income, an amount of money in the bank, a car, a house, a job title, whatever, fill in the blank. I'm going to pursue that with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength 
That's the pursuit of happiness. But joy is centering everything on Christ. It's just pursuing Him and letting everything else happen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else is provided. We seek Him first and He gives us all the tools and all the wisdom and all the understanding we need for everything else to work out. Joy doesn't come from making me happy. Joy comes from making other people happy. That's a big paradigm shift. And it's a, it's a paradox. Joy doesn't come from making myself happy. Joy comes from making someone else happy. It's the way God designed it. He has many of these paradoxes in His kingdom. The first shall be the greatest among you will be the least among you, right? You can go on and on all day, things that are counterintuitive. And to, to have joy, we pursue making other people happy. God designed it that way. One popular myth says, when I get all my problems solved in this relationship, I'll be happy. That's never going to happen. Sorry if I burst your bubble tonight. <laughs> We're never going to be in an ideal situation with this life. Like everything is absolutely pristine and perfect and we have everything we want. It's just not going to happen. Life is simply a series of solving problems. If the only time you learn to have joy in a relationship is when you have all your problems solved, you're never going to have joy. We have to learn to have joy in the middle of our problems. And one, another thing just to look at a little bit different, problems are opportunities for greater intimacy, closeness. Because when you work through a problem, you're closer on the other side. If you never have a problem in a relationship, you never grow in that relationship. But when you work through the problem together, you're actually stronger on the other side. And this is something I try to explain to people that are about to get married, that some get and some don't. When you go through problems, you love each other more after the problems. Because you've learned to work through it together, you've learned to forgive one another, give each other grace, give each other mercy. If you're the one giving the forgiveness, you learn to love them more by forgiving them. If you're the one receiving it, you learn, you learn to love them more by being humbled by that. And that's why Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Because the Lord knew if we, He didn't tell us to do it always, then we'd say, well, I'll rejoice if. And we start filling in our circumstances when we will, when we won't. And we're good at making deals with God. It starts at a very young age. Clean your room. I'll clean my room if. I didn't say if. I just said clean it. <laughs> you ever had that conversation? I've been on both sides of that conversation. 
So how is it possible to be joyful? When Paul wrote that he was in prison, he wrote Philippians 4.4, Rejoice always when he was in prison, about to be executed. He was writing to the Philippian church the book on joy. 19 times in the book of Philippians, which is a small book, the word joy or rejoice is recorded 19 times. He wrote a book on joy waiting to be executed. He didn't have a whole lot to look forward to circumstantially or physically. But he learned to rejoice anyways because his focus was on Christ. Paul wasn't counting on his circumstances to bring him happiness. He was counting on the Holy Ghost to give him joy. And I quoted it earlier, but one of my favorite verses is Psalm 1611, which reminds us that will show me the path of life. So again, if we pursue the Lord, He's going to show us the path of life. If we forsake our own understanding and all of our ways acknowledge Him, He's going to direct our path, right? And in thy presence is fullness of joy. So the greatest source of joy is in the presence of God. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. They're eternal pleasures. So we can pursue the pleasures of this life, the pleasures of the flesh, which are temporary and fleeting and really can never be fully satisfied. Or we can find eternal satisfaction in Him. When I have a warning light that says low joy, it means I need to get in God's presence. And a simple acronym to remind us as we're coming to a close. A recipe for joy. Chocolate chips, flowers, co- sugar, no. Cookies. No, that's not the recipe I'm mentioning, but that is good. Recipe for joy is putting Jesus first. Right? The first letter of joy is J for Jesus. O is for others. We put Jesus first. We put others second. And Y is for you. Jesus, others, you. Another one of my favorite verses in the Bible, especially during Thanksgiving and Christmas, is Nehemiah 8.10. Because the Lord's not about always denying yourself, always fasting, always repenting, sackcloth and ashes. But there's a balance. It's a season, as Brother Ron said. This is a commandment just as much as a commandment to repent in the Bible. Nehemiah 8.10, he said unto them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. So again, even in this, he's saying, Go and indulge. But as you indulge, remember those who don't have any. It's okay to indulge, 
But part of the joy that's going to come from that indulgence is making sure you're taking care of somebody else too. It's not just me, but I get to share this. For this day is holy unto your Lord, unto our Lord rather, neither be sorry. Okay, don't be sorry. Don't be upset. Don't be sad. And in this context, they had read the the Bible for the first time in a long time, the law, and they were sad because they had been sinning and neglecting God, and he's telling them, don't even feel bad about what you've done. Now is a time to rejoice. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's why on Sunday I was challenging us so hard. I was trying to have a little fun with it too, but was challenging us so hard to have some joy that God wanted to surprise us because when we don't have joy, we get weary and we want to give up because what's the point of living for God if it's just drudgery, right? But truly living for God produces joy, produces joy and God commands us to have joy. So enjoy ourselves, reward ourselves, Take care of ourselves, but remember that having joy is not all about us. It's about putting God first, others second, and ourselves third. That's where we'll truly find joy this holiday season. Because it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? That makes no sense to the selfish mind. But it's true. And when we learn to walk in that and we, we get that revelation and we obey it, our lives are changed forever. Amen. Any questions as we close? We don't always have questions at the end of a lesson, but just for something different. Everybody's wheels seem to be turning tonight. So any questions or comments as we get ready to conclude? None? Okay, sure. Yes. I just wanted to say that it's, you know... In Isaiah chapter 12, it says, With joy shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And it says draw, so there must be some kind of effort. It depends on your place in life, because sometimes you can be close to that well or not. But, Mm -hmm. there, you know, it has to be more than a thought. It's actually got to be an effort. Yes. You've got to push through in the spirit sometimes, because... That could there could be any kind of blockage from you getting that well, and there's draw, so it has to be an effort. Sometimes we get caught up in this thing that you, you know, living for God is just a mental thought. It's more than a mental thought. We've got to put some effort through it, especially through the Holy Ghost, or we're never going to make it. Amen. Great point. Great point. That's again we have not because we ask not. We don't have joy because we don't go to the well and drink. We expect someone to bring us a cup full. (laughs) 
while we're sitting down. But we can go and draw well anytime we want. Really, that's the key tonight. I know it's challenging and maybe it's a little somber for us to think about. Very challenging. But the reality is, a few weeks ago I mentioned how the Lord says if you drink of this water, you'll never thirst again, right? Now, when, again, when that was, I think the Lord helped me understand that better because I used to think, well, I can have a great service on Sunday where I really get touched and then Monday morning I could be thirsty. So what does that mean? And what I think it means is that if I ever start feeling thirsty, I can go get a drink. I don't have to stay thirsty. I don't have to thirst again as far as remain thirsty. I can just... Just like when we're, we're at our house and we're blessed with running water. We just, if we're thirsty, we just walk in the kitchen and fill up a cup and drink it. If we want to sit on the couch and stay thirsty, whose fault? Right? Our fault. But if we walk in the kitchen, get a glass, drink, it's available. The presence of God is always available. But many times we stay thirsty because we won't go get a drink. He'll, he'll give us whenever we need a drink through His Spirit of joy and peace. But we've got to get off the couch. And it's comfortable on the couch sometimes. <laughs> We're comfortable with our frustration or our bitterness or our anger. We're more comfortable with that than joy, so we just stay there because we're used to it. We're familiar with that. There's like a little crevice in the couch. <laughs> from us sitting there. Any other comments? That was a great comment, Brother Ron. Anybody else? All right. Give us some things to think about tonight, but I know that God wants us to have it. And uh, I'll stop talking about it, but that's sometimes why I get such a burden and I press, like at the altar call on Sunday, because God's given me such a burden of how much He wants to bless people if they'll just receive it. And how much he wants us to live in righteousness, peace, and joy. And those things, again, happen no matter what somebody else does to us. We can't blame it on other people. We, just, we can go to him and have it. Amen. Let's stand tonight. Close in prayer. Any last call? Anybody else? Say anything? Yes, Brother Ron. Uh, you know, uh, it says in that verse, James 3 and 6, it says jealousy and selfish ambition. Do you think the devil could even be happy? Because that is really the devil's driving force right there. Right. I don't even think he can be happy. No, I, I don't think the devil's ever happy. And that's part of what drives him to steal, kill, and destroy. The most hurtful people are the most unhappy people. Usually if people are really mean to others, it's because they're really hurting. Right? If they find healing, all of a sudden they're wanting to be nice and so and that helps us in knowing if someone is being hurtful towards us we can pray and hope that they'll surrender to the Lord again that's up to them but at least we can pray the Lord will help them find healing instead of just being so angry at them for coming after us don't take it personal just pray that God will help them so a little different strategy and approach difficult people because we'll all find them and I is one sometimes. It's not proper English, I know, but it's fun to say. I is one. All right? All right, well, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this because, again, 
It's not human effort. It's the Spirit of God that brings revelation, understanding, and produces that that joy in our lives. Lord Jesus, we're thankful for uh, your goodness to continually try to move us towards having more joy and more peace in our life. And I know I'm extremely thick-headed and I need to hear something over and over and in many different ways to get it. So I'm thankful that you're patient with me and patient with us to try to bring us into a place where we're we're having more joy, more peace. And it's it's not all about us, that revelation. Uh, when that light bulb comes on and we begin to live for others more, we begin to experience more joy and more peace than we thought possible. And definitely more than when we live for ourselves and we're always looking out for our own needs. But the greatest way to come out of our struggles is to help someone else in their struggle. When I'm, when I'm struggling, if I go help someone else, it help me, helps me to feel better. helps me to feel like I've accomplished something and helps me to struggle less. So Lord, help us in this holiday season to uh, be reaching out to others around us. And when we're having a hard day, um, we'll reach out to somebody else and try to minister to them. And as we minister to each other, we can both overcome. And we can both uh, rise above the situations. Because it is a difficult life. It's a tough life we live at times. There's difficulty and struggle. But you are the source of joy. And we can have joy no matter what. If we'll put you first in our lives. Seek you first, Lord. So I pray that you'll bless everyone as we leave tonight. That you'll keep us safe on the way home. And uh, you'll just have your hand upon us throughout this coming week. Help us to be a blessing to our family members, especially the ones that are not saved, to try to be a witness to them, to show your love to them. Uh, Maybe not necessarily preach to them, but to show them your love through our words and our deeds and and just just loving them. And uh, hopefully they'll see you in that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, there will be life groups, I believe, on Thursday, if anybody would like to uh, participate in that as normal. And then um, Sunday at 5, we will have our Christmas service, hearing from various people. 5 o'clock, not 3.30. I'll try to say that a couple times. Um, Very laid back, just come at 5. We're just going to... Some people are going to lead us in worship. Some people are going to read scriptures, exhort from the word, whatever. It's just going to be a time of of exalting the Lord together. It won't be a real long service. And uh, we'll just have a a good time worshiping the Lord on Christmas together. So if you have any questions about that, let me know. But 5 o'clock on Sunday. And uh, don't come earlier than that because probably nobody will be here. So any questions? All right, again, if you would like to get prayed for, uh, Brother John's here to pray for uh, those who may be sick tonight. And uh, God's been using him lately, so he's full of faith and uh, has the authority. So I love you guys. Hope you have a good night and uh, hope to see you on Christmas, but have a Merry Christmas.